0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Ah, boy, now the hard part. Even though I've been preaching for a very, very long time, I have to admit to you, just for the sake of transparency, I still get nervous when there's like a senior man of God all of a sudden here and sitting and listening. and, And especially, especially since we're talking about the book of Revelation. Oh, man, you want to talk about a theological... Nightmare of ideas and ideologies and philosophies and traditions and everything else. And, and uh, so here, here's the thing, guys. Uh, the title of today's message is The End Alphabet Soup. Uh, who, who here has eaten alphabet soup? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I think it's more of a my generation thing than I see a few young adultish youth people raising their hands. So that's really, that's really good that they, I guess, they still make it, um, I, I guess, or maybe they don't make it. You just have really stale stuff from the pantry. Um, but, uh, the title of today's message, because we're talking about the seven letters to the seven churches who are governed by the seven angels and the seven Spanish angels at the altar of the sun. Oh no, that's a song. That's, that's wrong. And I'm embarrassed that my son didn't immediately jump up and know that that was that. (laughs) There were seven Spanish angels. Anyways, that is a serious digression from where we actually want to go today, isn't it? What I continue to discover as we, as we teach through this series, and i got to tell you, I don't know how many times in my life I've read the book of Revelation. I've read it many times. I've listened to it many, 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 many times. And uh, th- there, is, there is always, for me, a dissatisfaction like I think there is for most followers of Jesus because we expect to understand something truly profound. Here, here's the problem we're expecting to understand something that God doesn't actually want you to understand in the way you think you should understand it now it is a book of revelation which as we talked about in the first week of the series means an uncovering it just simply means to undress it to uncover it to lay it bare if you go back to the greek word it's very it's a very simple word and it's a very simple title for the book but i find that as we as we as we go through this and the more times i go through it in life people seemingly want to build a bigger, badder, better eschatology off of the book of Revelation, and they end up missing the entire point of the book of Revelation. Because we we tend to only think, and this is a North American, largely a North American phenomenon, that we tend to think that the book of Revelation is about our end times, And while it may be, and and parts of it may be, and certain things are going to be revealed, and we're going to come to better understanding, and, uh, you know, the the specifics start to matter to people more than the original instructions of Jesus and the leading of the Holy Spirit matter. And we end up with people who claim to be followers of Christ who choose to live under a rock rather than be commissioners of the gospel of Jesus, which is the greatest commission to go into the world and preach the gospel until you see the end of the signs of the age, then hide under a rock. That's not what Jesus taught us. He didn't put a timestamp on the end of preach the gospel, did he? I've never read it. If you think he did, I I know that Jesus said the end would finally come when the whole world had heard the gospel. And so I can tell you this, we're still not there. There's still people groups in this world that have not heard the gospel of Jesus, so we literally have not fulfilled that thing that Jesus literally said. But what does that matter to you and I somewhere between uh, 12 years old and 100 years old in Grand Prairie, Alberta? How many unreached people groups are in our city? Well, not many. How many unreached people are there in our city? Well, about 70,000. Yeah, that's just not enough. Guys, the field is still white and ready for harvest. Right here in this time. Right now, today. It's ready for harvest. And there is a commission in place that we are called to. Now, I'm going to try to go through this. And you'll forgive me because we take a half hour to 45 minutes every Sunday to try and unpack something that you could spend literally a lifetime studying. So you have to, you have to appreciate that we, we go by the leading of the Holy Spirit and we do our very best to give you the Cliff Notes. A timely word in a, in a season for your life that is going to meet you where God wanted to meet you today and change some part of your life, draw you just a little bit closer to Jesus. So the time is short and that could mean a day or it could mean a 100 years. Jesus said the time is short. Day, 100 years. The time is short for what? Well, for many things. I mean, the time is short until lunch today. We're almost there, right? We're, we're getting there. The, the time is short till. Uh, some of you young men get married but it feels like an eternity right I know Jacob's chair but I think my friend Keegan is here today I know Keegan you guys are getting married what, in June yeah so, please Jesus don't come back quite yet Right? That's the, that's the prayer of every North American church kid that was raised in any kind of Baptist Pentecostal alliance tradition please not that before I can get married Lord right so, so, so the time is short well what does that matter let me tell you where it matters. The time is short for the person God is calling you to speak to. That's who the time is short for. The time is short for you to impact the life of your son or your daughter. The time is short for you to build a relationship with a coworker. The time is short for you to make amends with your spouse. The time is short for you to feed the poor. The time is short for you to pray for the healing of the sick. The time is short for so many things, but we get tunnel vision and say the time is short for the end of the world. The world has been ending since it began, people. True story. In the same way, see, the mysteries of God are revealed in the nature that He created. And from the time you were conceived in your mother's womb, you want to know what happens? You begin to die. From the moment of conception, cells begin to divide and grow, and it happens rapidly and miraculously, and it's so wonderful and amazing. But do you know that cells at the same time begin to denature and die and decompose? So from the very beginning, the end was on its way, and that's the nature of time and how God created time to work and flow around us. It is the substructure that we are tied to in everything that we know. And I think we're fools when we say somehow that we can predict it or grasp it. Man, all we can do well is look back and say, I see the goodness of the Lord. That's all we can really do. And it's what we get to do. It's what Pastor Paul and Victory Church get to do. I asked Pastor Paul to write down everything that they know about the miraculous things it took. I want, I want the things that he had to treasure up in his heart as God was leading their church. I want that to become a part of our heritage as a church. Because it, it allows us to see the goodness of the Lord in these days and in this land that he's called us to. Yeah. So here's the thing, when it comes to your eschatology and my eschatology, which is in more or less the study of the end times or the doctrines of end times, here, here's where I think we should land. I don't mind being wrong about timelines. I don't. I believe we should leave my house on Sunday morning in a time that allows us to be ten minutes early for whatever we have to get to. The first thing I learned being a married man was if I wanted to be happy, that timeline would have to be sacrificed on the altar of my marriage. <laughs> True story. Not that my wife is a late person at all. She, she really she actually is. She's actually a very prompt person. But she's prompt like if we're there 30 seconds before it starts, we're still literally on time. Can't argue with that logic. Okay, she so wants to be early. I like being early. But, you know, we can really get distracted about who made who late. It's just a, it's just a reality of what we live. But here's the thing. I, I want to be flexible about my timelines. And I might look silly because I'm wrong here and there, but here's what actually matters. What actually matters is not how you perceive your timeline, but whether or not you are doing the things that God wants you to do. It does not matter what you think about your timeline because 99.9998% of the time, you're wrong about the timeline anyways. If you didn't know, I'm telling you now. What matters is, are you doing his will? Regardless of what you think the timeline is or isn't. How many of you have experienced this? Well, I really know I need to talk to this person. And God just reroutes everything for you. And it arrives in whose time? His time. He makes all things beautiful in whose time? In his time. In the in the what? In the fullness of his time, things happen. That's how God works out, how God moves, and we're crazy to think that suddenly we get to rough times for North America and for parts of the world, and all of a sudden, oh, we're going to interpret the end times. We're missing it. We're missing it. We're missing it. Um, here's a story I want to share with you to try and illustrate. Now, many of you have lived this story as well, because I know as a child I lived this story and uh, and I think all of us as parents probably live this story. There are a certain four children. We'll call them Hanson children, <laughs> who are given a task of responsibilities, a commission, if you will, to do a certain number of things in the place where they habitate, because the mother and father of said household are going off on a journey, but will return. Inevitably, what happens? Come on, prophesy! Come on, bring it! Come on, Jody can prophesy. Jody can stand up, bring the tambourine, she can sing the song and do the dance and tell you about the things that aren't done because she's a mom. We have this list of things that the kids are supposed to do, and it's inevitable every single time. And it was true when I was a kid too. We are driving down the half mile of our house. And we can see into the house because it's dark and the lights are on and the TV is on. We can see the flashes of blue, green and red on the wall and in the interior of the house. And as we turn into the driveway so that now our headlights are pointing in the direction of where these four children who have technically not been named. As the headlights of our vehicle land upon where they are sitting, what happens? There's jumping and there's leaping and there's running and they're just praising God and worshiping. No, they're not. No, they're not. What are they doing? They are, they are scrambling to load the dishwasher. They are sweeping things. They are throwing things under beds and under couches and they are wiping tears off of somebody's face and they are making deals. Don't tell mom and dad what happened while they were gone. That's what's going on. And sadly, I think this is how the church lives its life. The church lives its life in a way that well, we know mom and dad are coming home, we know that one day they're going to show up, we know they've given us things to do, but we just want to watch one more show. And then every single time lights come across our living room wall in the church, we all lose our minds in panic. Because if we're going to be honest the issue is we haven't done anything that we were told to do. But now we fear the lights are on. And mom and dad are going to walk in the room and be disappointed. Can I just suggest to you this is an entirely wrong motivation, an entirely wrong way of thinking about how you and I could live abundant life in Jesus. That's not abundant life. Sitting there, vegging out, watching TV, wondering what's what, who's who, and oh my goodness, the lights. Guys, that's not the life God called anyone to. That's not the victorious life in Christ we're called to. That's not the good works which he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. That's not what he's done. It wasn't for that. So what was it for? Well, just like my kid's response, I want you to know this this morning, that Whether you're right about timelines or not, rightness and readiness are the same when you've been doing the assignment. Rightness and readiness are the same thing when you've been doing the assignment. And if you go back and listen to last week's message, I think you'll you'll get that. When Jesus in the book of Matthew shares through those parables, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, he shares through those parables, what you find is that the people the subjects that he talks about in there, they're all doing what? They're all moving and they're all working. They're, they're doing something. They're going somewhere. They're not stagnant. Oh, wait, there was one in the parable of the talents. And Jesus called him a wicked servant. So Listen. I would rather be wrong about my eschatological timelines and be found right in serving Jesus because, you see, I care about being right in eschatology a lot less than I care about being right in serving Jesus. I don't, I don't want to be right in my timeline and wrong about serving Jesus. Because, because if I'm right in my timeline, it's, li- it's literally self-rightness. But when I'm doing the good works that he prepared for me beforehand so that I would walk in them, I'm working and I'm living and I'm doing in his righteousness. Vastly different things. An incredibly different way of living life. I've had people over the years try to nail me down. We need to understand your eschatology. Jesus has never once asked me to have better eschatology. Not once. You know what he's asked me to do? Are you loving your wife? Are you serving your children? Are you chasing my heart? Are you with me? Are you after me, son? See, those are the things God wants to talk to me about. And the disciples with Jesus were the same. Lord, when's the end? When's the end? And Jesus' response to them was what? You don't need to know. Well, but Lord, we'll be better theologians if we know. No, you won't. Timelines are not going to be what accomplishes everything in the kingdom. Obedience is. Obedience will always be better than sacrifice. And obedience will always be the right decision when it comes to what Jesus asks you and I to do. So, in the next 15 minutes, <laughs> I want to go through the seven letters to the seven churches. <laughs> Guys, did you start my clock on Pastor Paul's time or on my time? <laughs> I think you started on my time. Did, did you start on my time? Yes. Okay, okay. thanks, John. And you're one, you're one notch farther down now in the team leadership profile. just got to say. All right. Revelation chapter 2 through Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. Now, I'm going to, again, I'm, I'm dropping this on you. And by the Spirit of God, please Open your heart today and hear what God has for you because all too often, uh, all too often we encounter something in the Bible that we don't like and so we make exceptions and excuses for it without understanding the why the Bible says what it says. It's often based on our individual desire to be right, not righteous but just to be right. Right? In other words, I'm a good arguer. I like my track record as an arguer, so I want to be right. You think that's the trophy. Lots of men, you're better arguers than your wife are. That's why you're quote-unquote right. But you know what the truth is? Lots of times, because you're right, you're both wrong. she's a, she's, It's just because she's actually not as good an arguer as you are. But all too often, we encounter these things. We, 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 we in, our, in our individual desire to, to think that we've arrived or no, we start to, we start to sweep things off to the side. And self rightness is not Christ's righteousness. That's the that's the fundamental problem with that approach. Keeping in mind that when we covered this a few weeks ago as we started, that the righteous, what is the clothing of righteousness that the bride, the church, you and I wear in the book of Revelation? Well, it's the it's the righteous acts of the saints. That's 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 how we're clothed in the book of Revelation. We are, that's Revelation 9.18 if you're taking notes, that's reconciled in fact with the fact that James James 2.26 says that faith without works is dead. So it's not that the righteous works being our clothing as the bride of Christ is something that's all spectacular and pointing to us as some wonderful thing but the reality of what jesus has done and how he clothes us and the opportunity he gives us to be clothed guys your opportunity to be perceived in heaven as righteous to be known as righteous yes is the covering of jesus but it's also in obedience to the work that he's called you to and and i i i struggle to say it's okay you can have it without that why well because the bible goes on to tell us that uh... faith without works is dead our faith without works to follow it is dead. And if you, if you just want to think of it this way, um, if you planted an apple tree, and it grows in your yard, and it's a wonderful apple tree. Let's say it even blossoms. You know, it's a beautiful apple tree. You take pictures in front of it. It's, it, it, does, it looks really pretty in the spring. How long are you going to tolerate that apple tree if it never actually gives you an apple? So the tree is good, the tree is growing, the tree is alive, the tree makes blossoms and it looks real pretty, but does it actually bear fruit? And that's what it ends up being like for you and I when we come to faith in Jesus and then we stagnate. You might look really good, you might have a great singing voice. You know, I can just worship and I sound like an angel when I sing and, and you know, and on and on, whatever it is, you might be really good with money, you're balancing books, you might be really good at a guitar, you might be really good at running the computer, whatever it is. If you're an apple tree, are you producing apples? That's what actually matters. I mean, yeah, you might be good for some pictures here and there, but you were destined, you're designed for making apples. And works are the necessary fruit of the development that's taking place in our lives because of what Jesus did. It has to come. The, The cause of salvation is grace through faith. And works are the necessary fruit for the development, the perfecting, and the ultimate completion of a follower of Christ. That's how it works. Um, I've seen lots of people leave lots of churches over the years. 25 years in ministry. I've seen a lot of people leave a lot of churches. And you know what's an interesting and, and terribly sad thing that I see is that over those years, they almost all have left because they think they're right about something and the church and the leadership is wrong about something. But you want to know what I watch for down the road? Because I am a pastor and I do care about them. What I watch for, well, did they give at our church? Did they give at the church they're going to? The answer is often no. When they go to the next place, do they get involved? Sadly, the answer is often no. No. When I bump into them down the road, have they progressed in their obedience to the very basic calls that Jesus has spoken into their life? And sadly, the answer is no. So what you have is an apple tree that might be really healthy apple tree, but it still doesn't produce apples. There was a certain fig tree in Jesus' time that didn't bear fruit. And it wasn't even the season to bear fruit. Jesus cursed the fig tree. My point, guys, is that we <laughs> We we are called to fruitfulness whether you think it's the season or not. You're called to fruitfulness whether you think this is the season or not. Why? Because your sense of timeline isn't God's sense of timeline. Can God have the audacity to do that? I think he can. And whether you think he can or not might define your next steps. But I would urge you to consider, well, God can actually decide anything he wants to. I don't know. Let me, let me help you understand further as we go through these letters here. No doctrine ever. Somebody just say, no doctrine ever will run contrary to the commission Jesus gave. You okay with that? No doctrine ever can or will run contrary to the great commission that Jesus gave his church. It cannot. All doctrine serves that relationship that God pursues with his creation. Um, so these letters written to the seven churches are viewed by most as applicable to the church past, present, and future. By most, we would say these seven letters, they are, they are for the church past. There were things that literally were happening. They're the, for the church present. We may see things happen. And they are still for the church present of the future as long as the church is still going to be here in the future, okay? And and people actually generally agree on that in North American theologies and doctrines. We There's large, largely there's agreement on that. But it needs to be understood that the letters are in fact written for your sake today, for you. They're written for you today and they are there for you today to serve the purpose and calling of Jesus in your life. They're there to serve the purpose and, and uh, of Jesus calling you to himself. And that's why as you go through those letters, there's certain establishments that are made about the character and the nature of who Jesus is. His, the, he, he's the master, he's the first love, so on. Each letter reinforcing the reality of Jesus' lordship in our lives. And so in Revelation 2-1, we... Jump right in and this is the church at Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. Sounds like they're doing really good, doesn't it? And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. Uh-oh. Thought we were doing good. Lord, we were checking the boxes. What happened? That you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Do what? Do the deeds you did at first. Because you're on track back then. Or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know, it's going good for the church. For these Ephesians, it's going so good for them. You don't tolerate evil. You've endured for the sake of Christ. But what's Jesus saying? Somehow, in all the doing of rightness, you have forgotten your first love. Who is that? Jesus is saying, you've forgotten me. I'm your first love, so return and, and, and just just hear the words because they apply to us today. What is the response? So return to the deeds you did first. We counsel people in relationship this way, you know. Well, I don't like my wife. She's this. She's that. And oh, and when did this go wrong for you? Well, I don't know. Probably her fault. Blah, 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 blah. You know where we inevitably end up with that individual. Okay, so where was a time in your life that was working? Well, when we were here, we did this and this. Okay, well, go back to that. Duh. (laughs) Go back to that. God prepared good works for you and I beforehand so that we would walk in them. I keep saying that to you because it's so important in this day for you to hear it. You want to come back to your first love? You want to know a place to start? It's not that you have to cover yourself in in ashes and wear sackcloth. It's you need to come to the deeds. You need to come back to those first things you knew in your spirit to do. What were they? If you examine yourself right now, you might say, man, I used to read my Bible a lot more. Well, There's a good place to start. Man, when I was first saved, I was so excited to go and do this. Well, go back and do that. See what happens to your heart. I want you to know that you don't have to overthink things. You just need to read your Bible again for the first time saying Holy Spirit help me to read this because I can't do it on my own no no human being can truly interpret scripture without the Holy Spirit it doesn't happen without him the church at Smyrna to the angel of the church oh sorry <clears throat> Oh, I have wrong notes here somewhere now oh, oh boy I really messed up yeah but it's not in my notes babe oh it's up here oh thank goodness somebody got it right for me how is it not in my notes, but it's in your notes? That's a miracle. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, to the first and the last who is dead and has come to life, say this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church is. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Well, I hope I can make sense of my notes still, but can I just comment to this really quick, quick commentary? The 10 days for you and I is not a literal 10 days. It's not like a church day pastor read that I was going to have tribulation for 10 days. No 10 days is actually a throwback to the book of Daniel and Daniel was tempted to compromise with his with the other sons of Israel. They went through a trial that lasted 10 days and and they were they were being pressured to eat food that was not kosher, food that would dishonor their relationship with God. And so Daniel had to fight through that with the other young favored men of Israel who were in the king's court. And he, they ate the lentils and the vegetables and not the choice fatty parts and all of all the things, if you want to go back and read the story, it's great. But in order so that the king, the, the Babylon could know God, he endured for 10 days. And I want you to understand something about this. You know, it, you, you cannot pin down a timeline for where you and I are at right now based on something like this. Oh, it's 10 days. You may You may go through 10 days of tribulation, but hear this. All tribulation that God allows us or calls us to walk through is so that someone else can move a little closer to Jesus. Because what happened to the king? Well, he saw that Daniel and the sons of Israel were doing much better on their diet than the one he had prescribed. And so what did he do? Well, that gave Daniel and the sons of Israel favor in his court, and it actually began to fulfill prophecy and destiny that God had spoken. It's, it's, it's important to understand that revelation constantly is connecting us to truth in the Old Testament that testifies about what Jesus wants to do. Yes. So important that we understand these things. Poverty and suffering and proven faithfulness win people to God's kingdom. Yeah. Because whether you know this or not, There are people who don't know Jesus who will be moved towards Jesus by your perseverance in your issues. We dumb that down and say, well, maybe the Lord's just going to use your suffering for good. That doesn't do justice to what you're walking through sometimes, does it? Uh, Church of Pergamum. I think we're all all together still, right? Okay, Angel of the Church of Pergamum, right. The one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this. You know it's getting serious when that happens. I know where you dwell. That also makes it serious. Where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things, sacrificed to idols, to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Mouth, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Repent or else I am coming to you. This is what makes those kids jump off off that couch when the headlights come through the living room window. Right? All of a sudden the day of repentance is near. Now, People will take this and make this about the end of the end of the end. But guys, just stop for a second. I can think of at least one other place where somebody threatened to come if things didn't change. It was actually the Apostle Paul. And he said, do I need to come and show you that the kingdom of God exists not only in words but in power? In other words, I'm going to come over there and correct you. I'm going to show you the way of love more perfectly. It's a really nice way of saying we're going to beat you up. (laughs) Come and show you the way of love more perfectly, Wes. And I will bring eight or nine other men to help me do it because you're huge. (laughs) Um, It's not the end of the end of the end. That's not what it's talking about here. But it is talking about that God, that Jesus... Jesus wants with the, what is what is the sharp two-edged sword? See, it's it's symbols. What's the sharp two-edged sword? The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. What is the sharp two-edged sword? The word of God, gold stars. Somebody got some gold stars today from the teacher. Jesus says, "I'm going to come at you with my word to bring correction." That's it. It's not any more complicated than that. Why are you hiding under a rock? Because Jesus is coming with a sharp two-edged sword. Man alive, any church you sit in, Jesus is coming at you with a sharp two-edged sword. Every time you open that book and read it and let it examine you rather than you examine it, Jesus be coming at you with a sharp two-edged sword. What? Yeah. It's not the end of the end of the end. It's everyday life for me. I don't know about you. Every time that somebody cuts me off in traffic and I want to bless them in Jesus' name with the four-fingered salute. I always use four fingers. That way I can be accused of no wrong. It's kind of like a backwards wave. Hey. hey! The word of God constantly judges me. Jesus constantly critiques and molds and fixes and adjusts and aligns and changes perspective in my life so that I can serve him more appropriately. And I am very good with that. I'm going to say a little later, but the reason is, is because when the Lord dis- disciplines those he loves, he's proving that you're his son. Discipline is what proves sonship. Thyatira. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira, right, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than that of the first. A little bit different than the other church, right? Your deeds were really good at the start. Nowadays, not so much. Maybe go back to the things you used to do. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, not literally. He's talking about a spirit here. Who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not to repent of her immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Oh I gave things time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Time out. See? North America is being thrown on a bed of sickness. North America, listen, that might absolutely be the case. Because what did God say in the Old Testament? Sometimes I'm going to visit sickness upon my people. Why? So that they'll turn to me, so that they'll know that I'm God. This has happened before in Scripture, it's wrong to think that, oh, because that is happening, it's, it's just here. Well, the whole world is, is in the throes of COVID. Guys, that does not mean that COVID is the sign of the end and that we should stop doing anything. Here in this place, you've heard it from the start for the last two and a half years. And from the, the 14 years we existed before that as a church, we're not going to stop being the church. We might have to adjust our step. We might have to figure out some side hustles, but the church is going to be the church because the world needs the church. It's God's only plan to save the world. Great. It's the body of Christ. Yeah. Jesus is the head of the church. Sometimes people say, oh yeah, Pastor Trav, he puts too much emphasis on the local church. I'm not putting any more emphasis on the local church than Jesus did. Right. Take that. <laughs> sometimes, Sometimes, man... The enemy just finds the best ways he can to try to distract you and take you off course, which, by the way, is not a new thing either. Nehemiah faced that building the wall. yeah. yat, 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 yat. It's always yappers around trying to take you off of commission. What God told you to do, what Jesus said was the most important thing his body would do. Preach the gospel in every nation. Oh. <sighs> Lest they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with pestilence. Oh, that's Old Testament God. Some people don't like him. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches the the minds and the hearts. And I will give each of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest here in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no burden on you. Nevertheless. What you have, hold fast until I come. He, who come. he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with the rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Avoiding immorality, staying innocent of the deep things of Satan. What do you suppose the deep things of Satan are? I know I know sacrificing chickens in a pentagram (laughs) that might be you want to understand but 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 to me the obvious things are not the deep things can I just just gonna just gonna lower myself a little as I say this so you're less offended (laughs) you want to know what the deep things of Satan are sowing discord between brothers The things that you and I don't see coming are the deep things. By the way, the Bible says God hates that. God has a strong distaste for those who sow discord among the brethren. And we gotta be so careful to preserve unity in every part of the body of Christ. Unity matters so much for the body because if if the hands are separated from the arms, what can the body do? Some things, but it's kind of awkward. I, I appreciate in this letter for my own soul, you know what God's saying? He says, You know what? And I'm not putting any other burdens on you, I'm not going to layer anything else on you. How many of you have walked through a time in life trying to serve Jesus and you just feel like you're not going to be able to handle it anymore? because the burdens are, are being added and you're at the end of your strength and you know the Lord is good, but oh my goodness, I can't believe pastor asked me to do another thing. I don't think I'm ready to lead. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I don't think I can, but the Lord, if you would just open the word and read for the season you're in today, is saying to you, hey, because, because you're not floating around in the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Just rest easy, man. Rest easy, son. It's okay, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, you should not try to interpret anything in the book of Revelation without considering everything else scripture has to say. To the church at Sardis, to the angel of the church of Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits and the seven stars says this. Seven is a significant number. It's a number of completion. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die for i have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my god so remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent therefore if you do not wake up i will come like a thief and you will know at what you will not know at what hour i come to you But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Alive but no life in them. How many times a month do you feel that way? being honest see it's not it's not just for the church of the past and it's not just for the church that's here today it's here for the church that will still be here tomorrow and next week and will be around for as long as we are in this age people are gonna struggle with this and they're supposed to struggle with this they're supposed to struggle because As I said before, guys, this whole woke culture thing is a counterfeit of what God has been saying all along. Wake up! up! You're dead. Come on. That's my little niece. She's just prophesying right back. Wake up! Oh, not so much now. Are you awake? Yep, she's awake. I think we're going to have birthday cake for Annika later. Is that going to be fun? Yeah, fist pump. She's good at that. don't, I don't want to be a zombie. That's what it means to be alive but have no life. I mean, there is no Greek word for zombie, but if there was, zombie (laughs) Leo, there is no Greek word, but as close as we could come to understanding, that's what we're talking about here. Alive but no life. Well, you might also liken it to a tree but no fruit. The church at Philadelphia, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he is holy, he is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no man can shut, because you have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly, hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God does spare some of his people from testing. God allows his blessing to rest on some. And sometimes others, it doesn't look like they have a whole lot of blessing going on. But understand that it's not a universal statement. And we can look historically at the world around us and realize that is not a universal statement. The problem we have interpreting some of these scriptures is that we only think about it from this North American church perspective. You can't do that. If it talks about the whole world, then consider the whole world. Has the church in China escaped tribulation? No, they have not. Do they deserve tribulation? The believers there, I don't think they do. See, it doesn't, it doesn't work to, 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 to try and try and force an ideology into these verses. It doesn't work. Stay on track. Stay the course. Stay faithful. Stay true to the Lord. Don't worry when people bully you. Don't worry when people speak poorly. They're of the synagogue of Satan, it says. And God one day is going to turn around their insults and make them your blessings. And God is going to take what they said you were a fool for and he's going he's he's to make it stand out as something that he was doing all along. He's going to bless it. And I, I got to say, there's actually so much good doctrine that can be tied to some of these things, but so much gets stuck and stays in things that cause us to hide. Laodicea, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I self to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The the call to you and I today, yesterday, and tomorrow is to repent from being neither hot or cold want be, one, be be one the, and it's not that hot is good and cold is bad, just to be clear. There's there's a bit of a there's a bit of a nuance in here that I'd like to draw out for you. And coffee's supposed to be hot, and Pepsi or Coca-Cola is supposed to be cold. And in their correct state and application, both are very refreshing, but neither is good at room temperature. You understand? guys, God does not want us to settle into some sort of average room temperature. God wants us to be something that is refreshing and resetting of temperature. If you apply this to the world we live in today, because you really need to apply this to the world we live in today, God, God wants you to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. God, God, doesn't, God doesn't want to put you as a lukewarm Christian into a lukewarm world that has no real identifying standard of what will bring life and refreshment. God says either either get hot and refresh or either be cold and refresh. Just don't be the status quo of this world because that's not what I've called you to. I've called you to be life to those who are dying. I've called you to carry my word to those who are bearing weight they should never bear. I've called you to speak healing to the sick. I've called you to bring freedom to the captives. Why? Because we walk in the same spirit that Jesus walked in. Being stuck is not where God wants you and I to be. I told you before, discipline is what proves sonship. This is the verse that shows us that. those whom I love, I discipline. When you bring your kids to church, you're not likely to find me running around disciplining your kids. Why is that? Because I'm afraid of you? I'm not. And not because I'm a tough guy, but because Carlisle's on my side. I don't discipline your kids because they're not my kids. But man alive, do I ever discipline my kids? And I discipline them because I'm motivated to do so by my deep, deep love for them. And what I want my sons from the time they were very, very little to the time they leave my home and start their own families. And even long after that, what I want my children to know is that my willingness to love them through discipline is the greatest evidence they will ever know that they are my sons and daughters church God wants you to know this morning even though you might despise his discipline from time to time the spirit of God wants you to know that the Lord loves you and so he disciplines you and in that action of his discipline and his great unending unstoppable love for you that he is proving to you that you are his son and the enemy wants to tell people today that if God if God makes you feel bad if God does something you don't like then you should never serve him. You shouldn't believe in him. He's not worthy of your trust. That's the voice of the enemy screaming all through society. The spirit of God is saying to you in your ear this morning. Because you're my son and I love you. I'm going to bring discipline I'm going to change you and I'm going to make you to be a little bit more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. And tomorrow we're going to do this exercise all over again and at the end of the day tomorrow son you're going to look a little bit more like my son. And when we get to the end of next week we're going to look a little bit more like Jesus. And when we get to the end of next month church we're going to look a little bit more like Jesus. And when we get to the end of the year church we're going to look a little bit more like Jesus. And when we get to the end of this age, when we get to the end of this life when I lay my head down for the last time and my days in this world are completed, whether Jesus takes me up or whether I am buried in the ground with my forefathers, one thing I know, that in that moment, the work of Christ in my life will be completed because of who He is and who He said I will be. Because I'm His Son, and you're His Son, and you're His daughter. And when you read the book of Revelation, please, for the love of God, understand that this entire book every verse in it, every chapter in it, every mister, every mystery, up to and including the man with the face of a man and the head of a lion and the tail of a unicorn and whatever other imagery you see. That book is a call to repentance for you, a coming to Jesus, a becoming a son of God, a becoming member of the body of Christ. That's what it's about. Again and again, Jesus says, Church, come and be my church and go into the world and make the world my church. Because when I die, I will be able to say, Lord, thank you for that discipline. Because you know, many times when I thought you maybe weren't my father, I got to say at the end, it was your discipline that Ryan reminded me the most. That's where it's at. The resounding themes of these letters, the introductions of Jesus at the beginning of each of the seven letters, establish the authority of Jesus in the completion of his work. There is a general call to repentance and endurance and promises for those who repent and promises for those who endure over and over again. Every single time you hear those words, To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Tells you something that it is for all churches, for all days, for all ages, for all the stages of your life. I called the message alphabet soup. Because honestly when you read the book of revelation sometimes it literally is a bowl full of random letters and imagery and things that can be so difficult to understand i said it last week pastor amy said it last week i said it today and all the way until we get to the resurrection season of the next series you want to know what you're going to hear church the book of revelation is a call for people to repent and turn to Jesus, for the church to do the work of the gospel, to be ready for whatever he wants to do, for whenever he wants to come by doing the things he said to do. That's it. Why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I can pray nothing other than this. Holy Spirit, I ask right now in this moment that you would clarify the word for each person here. The Lord, for every stage of life that's represented in this room, oh Lord, I know that there is a sentence in these letters. There is a thought. There is a, there is a God thought to be caught today. So Holy Spirit... Would you show it to us? Would you reveal it to us? Would you open our eyes to see it? Lord, if I'm your church, what are you saying to me? So we always end church with a song. So we want to give you a moment to reflect. I know you have busy weeks. I know that there's a lot of things going on. I know there's things you want to get back to even now. But this moment today is a moment for you to be able to say, Lord, what do you want to do with me today? What do you want to say to me? I'm going to give you this minute, Jesus, to speak to me and to tell me the things you want to tell me. I want to challenge you to pray that right now where you are. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? God, what do you want to say to my life today for where I'm at? Some of you might have the question, God, do you really want something from me at all? Do you want a relationship with me? Whatever your question is, let's ask. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.